We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by Untuck It. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. We're recording this before the Lakers have played the game against Orlando. Anthony Davis is going to be out for that one once again. Hopefully he'll be back later in the week. But this game against Orlando represents the halfway point of the season, 41 games in. So we're going to kind of take stock of where the Lakers are, where they've overperformed, where they've underperformed relative to our expectations earlier on in this season. Season. I want to start with the defense. The defense is better than than we expected it to be. We thought they'd be, you know, in terms of net rating or excuse me, defensive rating in that like eight to twelve type range. Is that what I think? What I thought uh, we said prior to the season. Right now, they're third. Uh, they're fourth in offensive rating. I'm going off basketball reference. It's a little different than how they calculated on NBA.com. Darius, do you have them at third as well on NBA.com? On NBA.com, they're third. They've been basically going back and forth between third and fourth for the past handful of games. They're one of the best defenses in the NBA. Ranking aside, they're even beyond just the where they rank, you know, in terms of, of defensive rating. When they turn the screws, when they're really locked in, that's like, wow, that's a really good defensive team. So I want to start out there. Why has this team been so much better than we thought they were going to be? I think we undervalued smarts. Mm. And like, I think you and I both sort of thought that they had some high IQ players, but we mostly think about that within the context of offense, mm -hmm. right? LeBron's passing, Rondo's passing. Even I think you and I said that Anthony Davis 
can sort of be that type of like player as well in terms of feel for the game. Defense also requires a certain amount of feel yeah. and smarts. Possibly even more than the offensive end, right? Because there are so many in-the-moment decisions like, do I drop down to help the helper? Do I close out to the three-point line? Like on offense, like think of a guy like Danny Green, right? What's he doing on offense? He's, you know, spotting up. He's occasionally relocating, but he has way more decisions to make on the defensive end on your average play than he does on offense. And on a team that's so built around superstars, that's true of the vast majority of our role players. Most of their decisions have to come on defense. Yeah, so I think smarts in terms of players, smarts in terms of coaching, game plan, organization, those yeah, are yeah. all things that I don't think we valued appropriately or weren't exactly sure how they would come together in terms of how the team coalesced, right? Yeah. And, and so it, what really stands out to me is the combination of smarts and, and sort of defensive instincts. Um, AD is no surprise there, but... LeBron sort of bringing it back up a level to, mm-hmm. to sort of his his final like Miami stint days. Um, Danny Green is obviously a plus IQ defender. Um, Dwight Howard is yeah, a man. guy who we didn't necessarily view that way, right? Like it, it was all sort of baggage when it came to Dwight, but he's had a huge impact defensively. Caruso is that way as well. Very um, – early rotations and where to be and when to stunt and how to get back and the angles in which they're going to play. There are so many small things that make up a defensive possession that can be impactful. And the Lakers are seemingly doing a lot of those things really well. And I'm not sure if we, or me at least, I didn't quite put it together that mm-hmm. when you add up all of those things, that it could be a significant value add on that side of the ball the way that it has been. No, that's I, I think when you combine that with their collective motor, because like Rondo's a guy that is an example of guy who's got the smarts but doesn't have that motor, right? And Anthony Davis, I think, is very much a leader on this team. I think that part of why LeBron is we're getting like the best defensive version of him that we can get at this point, at least at this point of the season, especially like that's Anthony Davis's leading by example. Uh, We talked about this recently. So those smarts combined with motor makes for a lot of guys like cleaning up other guys mistakes. You've got fewer false steps where like two guys will go to one guy. They had a little stretch uh, on Christmas and around Christmas during that losing streak where that's when it was bad, where two two guys would close out to one shooter, leaving another shooter wide open. By and large, they've been on the same page. One guy you didn't mention in that that I, I want to talk about that we haven't talked about much this season is Avery Bradley. I thought it was really notable that when he got hurt, they kept talking about like the Avery challenge, right? Mm-hmm. And it, all of their comments about... And what the every challenge was, was that they wanted to keep that same level of defensive proficiency that they had while he was in there. It's less to me about whether or not they succeeded in doing that and more that that's really revealing in how they see Avery Bradley. And I'm not talking about the coaches. I mean, the players in that he is very, very formative. He's, He's a very big part of the Lakers defensive identity. One of the things along with the smarts and the motor is how the pieces fit in that, like, you know, Avery Bradley was not a good PIPM, RPM type of guy. All of the analytics were like, this is a bad player. Why are the Lakers signing this guy for what was it, four million a year or something like that, that we could be getting these guys that are better at this. And one of the things that this Lakers team has been a lesson in is how much role matters with role players. Mm -hmm. like. 
Avery Bradley is being asked to do exactly the things that he's good at. JaVale McGee is being asked to do the things exactly that he's good at. Dwight Howard, Alex Caruso, all of these guys, yes, they are good defenders in and of themselves, but that the fact that they get to do like Avery Bradley's our ball pressure guy. And that's what he's asked to do on a team that has copious rim protection in the back. Danny Green is asked to make these weak side rotations. That's what he does best. And so like, these are all guys, if the circumstances are slightly different, if the role is slightly different, we're going to be like, what the hell is Avery Bradley doing? Dwight, what the hell? You know, but that comes into the preparation that you were talking about with the coaching staff is like, everybody's being asked to do something that they're good at. And I think that's a real testament, not only to those players, but to the coaching staff. Yeah. I also just think too, man, like you mentioned it earlier in terms of like motor was the term that, that you use, but they're just playing hard defensively, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And there is playing hard and not knowing what the hell you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. I thought last year's Lakers had really like prolonged stretches where they would play hard defensively. Mm-hmm. The, like the year before that as well, they were just sure. young and made a lot of mistakes. I think though that this sort of veteran-laden team, I'm not sure if, and I won't speak for you here, so I'll ask you this. Did you see them extending this much effort defensively? Because I did not. I thought that they would be a team that leaned on their offense and was kind of like, oh, maybe we'll turn it up or turn it down some, like depending on on matchups. But I didn't see them coming out and saying, you know what, y'all are going to score 12 points this quarter. Oh, right, right. That's that's Anthony Davis to me, right? And I think what that plays into the chemistry of this team too, in that when you've got a bunch of people who are really good at stuff, like you're somebody with like your writing and I, I, there are different writers that, that I, I like that I'm like, it's not competitive in that, but like I read when I read something that's good, it makes me want to like make a good video. It yeah. makes me want to write a good piece for the athletic, right? And I think this Lakers team has a similar dynamic in that it's it's not like trying to impress each other, but maybe it is a little bit, but it, it's like Anthony Davis just made this amazing block, right? And so like LeBron is fired up. Like there's this love of basketball and these guys know they're on a good team and they, they've been around long enough to know that this chemistry is not to be taken for granted, right? Yeah, no, I was going to say too that playing in into that, you remember those comments that LeBron had very recently about not wanting to let your brother down, right? Yeah. There is that element to it as well. But when the standard is set, to a certain level, the idea of not letting someone down actually also translate to performing to a standard that yes. other people have already established. And so it's not just like, oh, I've got to make this weak side rotation because that's my job. It's not only do I have to make this weak side rotation, but I've got to get vertical. I got to get my hands up. I've got mm-hmm. to do right because the standard that has been established by this team is no, like you're not getting this. Right. Mm -hmm. Like we're going to stop you. So not only am I going to be there to help you, I'm going to be there to make a play. And that's different. That's what really good defensive teams do and what good teams do in general. Like I'm not only there to help you and pick you up. I'm there to make the play that you went to go make. And now I'm covering for you when that play went somewhere else. Right. And that's a higher level that this team is trying to reach. And they're doing it just more often than what I would have thought they would have been committed 
to doing before the season started. It's positive peer pressure that's born out of mutual respect, right? Like that whole idea of not wanting to let something down. Like you said, it's not the same thing as like, oh, I have to do this because it's my job. It's the difference between being passionate about your job and doing your job, right? And we've all had jobs and situations or projects that we're working on that mean more to us than other things do. And that's going to be really important for this team come playoff time because there's going to be points where like they're going to they're going to be like no we we got to get through this like that that collective positive peer pressure is going to be it, what that does is that builds habits right and the lakers are like i've been really impressed by their closeouts lately they're really closing out to the three point line and teams yeah. have to make like three four passes before they get that actually open three pointer and every pass they have to make is one more chance for that pass to be a foot to the right and now it's no longer in the shot pocket and the advantage is erased and now there's seven seconds left on the shot clock and now they got to create something out of nothing no so in the spirit of sort of where they've surprised us and and we've been talking more generally defensively the fact that this team is forcing so many turnovers mm. right so when you continue to put the burden on the offense to make a play right where everything has to be very sharp and specific in order to get to the point where you're making a winning basketball play against this defense the more opportunity you create for there to be a mistake that's made a pass that's just a little bit flat or a little bit off angle, or is this guy going to catch it cleanly? And the Lakers are taking advantage of those, right? And and so you'll notice that on a lot of defensive plays where maybe the Lakers force a steal, a lot of times it's because their defensive players are positioned in a way where when the offensive guy gets led into a spot, there's now a guy digging in to them, reaching in and knocking the ball away or making mm-hmm. them fumble it, right? And then the pressure that the Lakers are putting on the rim defensively, we talk a lot about the pressure that they put on the rim offensively, but the pressure they put on the rim defensively and in the paint in terms of the challenge, you see this in like football, right? With the hard hitting safety and like alligator arms and hearing footsteps. Lakers opponents are hearing footsteps when they start to get to the paint. Their eyes Mm -hmm. are focused on where's the help defender. And that makes your handle just a little bit less sharp. It makes your hands a little bit looser. And guys like Danny Green or KCP or Alex Caruso or even Rajon Rondo are poking the ball away and getting their hand in there. Loose ball. And suddenly the Lakers are going the other way and getting out in transition. And I just didn't see this team as like a high steals team. I saw Mm -hmm. them potentially as a high blocks team, but not a high steals team and they've been a really good steals team this year too well they've been leveraging their ability to block shots into being more aggressive on the perimeter which is leading to those more steals part of the reason that they're able to do that is from the incredible especially bang for their buck production they've gotten from javel mcgee and dwight howard so we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to talk about the production from the center spot and then some of the things where they haven't quite been as good as we thought they'd be so hang tight we're going to take a quick break and be right back You ever see an untucked button down? They look bad. Why? Because they weren't meant to be worn that way. Thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button-down shirt actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, Untuck It shirts always fall at the perfect untucked length. Since they've got over 50 fit combinations, Untuck It shirts look great on guys all shapes and sizes. It can be frustrating when you're looking to find a shirt that fits your frame, but you just can't find anything. But Untuck It takes care of that. Choose from styles like wrinkle-free, button-downs, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. 
With Untuck It, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big again. And their website is super easy to use. They even have a whole page devoted to helping you find your fit. So whether you're shopping for the perfect gift or just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit untuckit.com and use code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T.com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. So the big revelation in terms of an individual player this season has been Dwight Howard, right? And coming into the season, it wasn't so much like, ah, this guy can't play, but can he fit in? And so part of what's remarkable about how Dwight has been good is not that he's a good basketball player. It's like this Lakers team is good because the chemistry is so high. And Dwight Howard is a big part of that, right? And Dwight has really done a lot of, uh, I would call it outreach to the fans. Just if, if you ever get a chance, if the Lakers are blowing somebody out or anything like that, Watch Dwight Howard on the bench just for the reactions. If like you got the glasses going up to his eyes for LeBron, uh, Caruso does a little flying bald eagle, right? He's got something. He's playing to the crowd, whether he's on the bench or in the game, gets the crowd into it, right? And this is true on the road with the Lakers fans yeah. across the country traveling as well as they do. Uh, but it's also like he seems very at peace with who he is. I want to talk about him as a player. He has been that guy. You remember when Dwight Howard like wanted to post up 20 times a game? Yep. And the counter- That was last season, Pete. <laughs> and the season before. Do I remember? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So like this is the dude that everyone who had been like, nah, man, just do the stuff that you're good at. He's doing that finally. And he's not quite the athlete that he was. But man, like some of these dunks, it looks not too not far top off. of the square, yeah. man. Yeah. Catching the ball to the top of the square. In fact, that play in the last game where the ball got stuck like behind the basket and then Dwight sort of mocked like he was just going to jump up there and tap, <laughs> right, tap right, it right. out and, and like the crowd was ready for him to <laughs> actually do it, do it yeah. right? Get that penny off the top of the backboard, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so he's not that far off from what he's been. What I've been most impressed by, I was expecting him to be a good player. It was the other stuff that I was worried about. What I've been most impressed by is he's hedging higher and he's more effective on his pick and roll hedges on the perimeter farther out than I expected him to be. He does this one thing where he gets he gives himself two chances at a block shot, one down low and one up high. Whenever a guard or somebody is driving at him, he'll swipe downward at the ball, and he gets a lot of these strips right as guys are gathering, and then he'll contest up high as well. I wasn't expecting him to be as mobile as hmm. he's been able to be. So that's been like he's arguably the best contract in the NBA, probably the best vet minimum contract in the NBA. But uh, just, yeah, man, what out of Dwight's season has stood out to you as like, a, oh, hey, this is found money? No, so you mentioned his mobility. The thing that stands out to me about how well he's playing relates to that. It's his spatial awareness as a big man. So watch around the league and there are big men who simply don't know where to stand <laughs> uh huh. They don't know how to get into position, both offensively and defensively, where they could be a threat, right, to make an impact on a play. There was a lob pass that LeBron threw that was like a ridiculous lob pass to Dwight um, against the Cavs. LeBron was sort of had the ball at his waist a little bit, and he was sort of like fumbled the ball a little bit, and then suddenly it's just out of there like like a jugs machine. 
right, uh-huh. to to Dwight, who then came out of nowhere seemingly and caught a lob pass for a dunk. Dwight, though, if you watch the camera angle where Dwight caught the lob, he was lurking in the dunker spot. He was eyeing LeBron. He saw that it was a guard who was down there checking him. He sort of stepped in, made some contact, stepped back out, and then basically stepped in, put a little hand right in the back square of the back of the guard, shoved him off a little bit, and then elevated and caught a dunk. There is a spatial and a spatial awareness and a spatial understanding of how to move and position yourself in order to make an impact play. He's doing that offensively by making himself available as a lob threat and and by carving out space on the offensive glass. And he's doing it defensively in the exact ways that you just described in terms of, and we talked about this a lot this season with, with White, but getting low in his stance, threatening to dribble with his underrated reach and hands, right? And then when the guard goes up to challenge or even a big man, he's showing excellent timing and instincts on how to challenge that shot at the height, right? And it's not like JaVale gets a lot of blocks actually as sort of like a half court chase down guy. He does what my high school basketball coach called like keeping the gate open, right? Which is basically he gets into almost like a lock and trail position with his defensive stance and he lets the guard by him and then he swats from behind a lot. Dwight's different. Well, I I feel like JaVale's been better at that too, though. That's one thing I was going to bring up is that I'm not seeing as many like ball screens where he gets his hips turned and into that lock and trail where JaVale's like contesting shots at the rim. JaVale's like blocks are coming from more traditional like help defense. So I do think that JaVale's gotten better at that thing that you're talking about because yes, he would get blocks, but he'd also be giving up a lot of layups at the rim. I don't see that happening quite as much. No, but what Dwight is doing in contrast to that is he is keeping the ball handler in front of him almost all of the time and Mm -hmm. he is staying wide and then he is getting tall and going high and blocking floaters and then blocking shots right in front of him rather than JaVale who is sort of blocking from the side. It's almost just like the timing and ability that Dwight has to sort of like play the in-between game. I did not envision him being this sort of drop coverage monster the way that he has been and that sort of body positioning and know-how that he's exhibiting. Like, I just haven't watched him mm-hmm. in enough years. And then the year that he was with the Lakers, he was hurt, man. Like, just coming back from back surgery, mm-hmm. shoulder stuff. And that season is almost a blur for how much it was like, oh, this is just a slog. Yeah, it was just watching a this of a team, year. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and so to now see him perform at this level and a lot of it based off of almost IQ and understanding yes. mixed with like maybe 75% of what he was or 80% of what he was physically, which was literally like a LeBron level freak of nature before, right? And so 75% of what he was is still like 100% of a lot of like average NBA players, right? Mm-hmm. But to see this all sort of come together for him with this single-minded focus too of be a star in your role, which is a diminished role for him, has just been like, my goodness, this dude's a revelation. Yeah, he absolutely has been. And that's why on on the defensive end, on both ends of the court, really, you brought up the IQ and I, I want to bring up some technique stuff because this isn't something we don't really talk about bigs 
about their technique. Like it's, we kind of perceive them and I don't know, you know, maybe I'm just talking about myself here, but I, I feel like bigs are like, oh, you run, you're tall, you jump yep. high, you block shots. It's like this born from athleticism type thing. Rather no, you than- are good at being tall. Right, right, right. Like, fantastic. Good for you. You're six eleven. You're good <laughs> right. at being tall. <laughs> right, and and you're like two seventy, right, or how whatever Dwight weighs. But the tech. I want to talk about some of the technique stuff that he does because he is good at being big. Uh, starting on the offensive end, and this is true of Javale as well. The Lakers have liked to post up LeBron in the high post, like 18 feet away, but on one side of the court, right? And these are clear outs where it's LeBron on one side and all four other guys are either at the top of the key toward the other, the opposite sideline. And this is where what Vogel talks about with the Lakers vertical spacing, meaning the ability to throw lobs to both JaVale and Dwight becomes, that becomes really important in that the way that teams will defend LeBron is they will go to a strong side zone, meaning that they're going to send a second defender over to his side of the court, which basically shuts down any driving opportunities that LeBron has. And it allows the guy who's defending LeBron to press up on him because if he gets beat, he's got help behind him. That leaves a four on three on the weak side of the court. Uh, and there's ways to take advantage of that, that both JaVale and Dwight are really good at. You'll see JaVale and Dwight go from that weak side dunker spot and flash middle on that. And what that does is that pulls one of those weak side defenders in. And now you've got a three on two that's really more of a two on one because one of the guys for the Lakers is at the top of the key, right? So basically, LeBron's the best skip passer of all time. If they don't come to take away, and they got to come hard to do that because you can throw it up there, right? So they that help defender has to physically get in front of JaVale or Dwight, and that allows LeBron to make that skip pass, and now it's a two-on-one, and you got Danny Green and, say, KCP on that side of the court, and they got to close out to one. Whoever they don't close out to, one of those guys is going to be open. It's no coincidence that both have done very well as spot-up shooters. Now, their understanding, the bigs, that is, of the timing involved in that, um, the just offensive rebounding technique from Dwight in particular, his, he'll put a forearm in the middle of the back. He does all of these swim moves and yep. all these elbows and shoulders he and hips a fantastic, and all that. I, so I call that hand fighting. He is a fantastic mm-hmm. hand fighter, right? Yes. It's like offensive and defensive lineman stuff from the NFL. <laughs> like That's perfect. I love that. Dwight can play in a phone booth. With, with the best of them, A, because he's strong as hell, but B, because his hand placement and hand technique on how to maneuver himself in tight spaces is just fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And and so those little techniques that knowing where to be, when to cut, where the open space is, the and a lot of these like flash cuts that I was talking about in those LeBron and other situations, like they get the ball, the bigs do maybe – 20% of the time on those because you are going to take that away as often as possible. And so it's not like you have to be playing for the team. You're not going to get a stat for that. That's going to be a coach and and the other players being like, yo, thank you for cutting hard there because that got KCP an open shot on the weak yeah. side, but you don't get any statistical credit for that or anything. So both guys, like one thing I've been thinking about uh, recently is JaVale. Remember JaVale used to go for all sorts of 
pump fakes. Like he yeah. would jump, especially younger in his career. Now he's really got guys really well timed. He's only playing two shifts a game in most games, but he's given us really good minutes and it's really like disciplined minutes, especially relative to last season where his pick and roll defense was not quite as good as it's been this year. You're absolutely right. Dwight's been much better for sure, but there's just been the, the production that we're getting from those guys for like, Oh, what are they paid collectively? Like five, six million dollars? Are you kidding me? Like the the production we're getting from them has been fantastic. So both the the Lakers defense, of which they're a, a huge part, and this emergence of these guys. KCP is a guy. Uh, his outside shooting, he's about seventy five percent of his shots catch and shoot or unguarded this year. Uh, last year it was about a 50, 50 split. So that's, yes. he's one of those guys that's more in the position to do what he does. Well, um, there've been a lot of things that have been really encouraging and why this Lakers team has been better than we expected. There was one thing you pointed out though, before we started recording where you thought they, they would be better. Tell us about, uh, one element where they've kind of underperformed in your eyes. Yeah, I just thought that they would be um, a better defensive rebounding team and rebounding team in general, but specifically on the defensive side of the ball. I was looking at NBA.com stats um, before we started to record this this pod, and they're slotted 20th. Basically, they're tied for 18th. There's three teams that are tied there. And with the size that the Lakers have, the level of rebounder, so they start a big lineup as well, right? Mm-hmm. So... AD starts at the four, LeBron starts at the three. Um, they're playing with a traditional center on the floor a lot of minutes. And I just thought that they would be one of those teams that is gobbling up 75, 77% of the defensive rebounds. And they're not. They're closer to like 72, 73%. And I just did not expect this level of defensive rebounding from this team, I actually thought defensive rebounding and their ability to end possessions by securing rebounds was going to be a key element to how well they played defensively. And it turns out that's not been the case at all, right? They're bottom third of the league as a defensive rebounding team while maintaining a top five defense. Like I just did not see that formula specifically coming. The thing that really stands out to me is our guards aren't good at rebounding, right? Like it, the the reason I at least thought that we would be a good defensive rebounding team, just like you did before the season, is like, look, we got LeBron, AD, Dwight Howard, all of these guys in the front line who just gobble, have gobbled up rebounds throughout their career. But it's similar to, you know, sometimes teams don't fit together because they've got like three guys who can score, but there's not a diversity of skill sets. There's not a diversity of like types of rebounders that we have on this team. Hmm. None of our guards sandwich down. Like what types of offensive rebounds do we give up? They're usually long, right? It's these, these <laughs> threes that go awry uh, straight. And then you've got Kuzma and Danny Green and KCP all leaking out to get that transition corner three and, you know, kind of getting that those first steps of that. Well, those rebounds are bouncing long. So while they're kind of leaking out or at the very least not pursuing the ball, the ball bounces out and some guard or, or forward grabs the ball 18 feet from the basket. Now they've got, uh, you know, a kick out three again and they've got another opportunity at that. So I think that like, is this something that you think can change? Like, what what can they do about this? Because I think that it's a, a personnel issue. I think that they can be a little bit more disciplined in terms of closing down the free throw line, in terms of um, strategically leaking out. But some of it, too, is just like, like you said, I actually think that it's like a feel part of the mm-hmm. game as yeah. a rebounder, right? And so 
I'll talk about him because he was on the team last year. Lonzo Ball has just a great feel for like where the ball is going to come off the rim and how to move into space to sort of be a defensive rebounding guard, right? It's not mm-hmm. always just about closing down the foul line. It's about reading the ball, where it's going to come off the rim, and then moving into rebounding position to go and get the ball. The Lakers guards don't seem to have a lot of feel for that at all. They stand still a lot. They leak out a lot. They sort of maybe move into general rebounding position. So even if that's closing down the foul line, that's not necessarily where the ball is going to go. Right. It's like they're just sort of aimlessly out there a little bit. And any rebound that goes out to 12 or 15 feet, if the bigs are in there boxing out or if you're JaVale, who is sort of like um, a jumper as a rebounder and not a box out and then go and get it rebounder, that's going to be a bit of a problem. It's just not something that I saw working that way with this Lakers personnel. I I sort of, just like you said, oh, look at all these big dudes they got who have traditionally Mm -hmm. been good rebounders. Of course, they're going to be a good rebounding team, but not so much. I'm not saying I'm disappointed in that, um, but some games it is frustrating to see a team get two or three cracks at it because um, on a single possession because the Lakers guards leaked out or guys were just not in better position to be rebounders, especially from the wing and the perimeter. Do you know, aside from our, uh, aside from our usual suspects, Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, do you know who the next leading rebounder on the team is on a per 36 minutes basis? So in terms of rate? Oh my gosh. Alex Caruso? No, he's actually one of the guys who I think should be better. I'm going to get to this point. It's Rondo. Rondo's huh. always been a guy who reads the ball off of the rim. Like when you were talking yeah. about that. He's always that been was, a good rebounding guard. That's right. That was that, that was one of my, in my very meager playing career, I was actually a pretty good guard rebounder because you can see, like if you're paying attention, you can see when the ball goes up, like, oh, that's a little bit off to the left. And you get two steps in and your momentum going that way. So you're going to track something down, but while flat-footed guys are like waiting to see which way it goes. Like if you're paying attention to that, you can see where it's going. And so Rondo, even at this point of his career with limited athleticism and and old and whatnot, Rondo's Rondo's our best rebounder outside of like the main big guys. That needs to be Kyle Kuzma, needs to be our our best of those. Uh, He's the one guy with the size to be able to, to drop down there. He's done some stuff recently where he'll like, he'll get a tap out where I'd have to look in the box score to see if he gets credited for the rebound, but that's not the point, right? Like he'll be battling someone or he's had a couple of sandwich rebounds recently where JaVale or, or Dwight, usually Dwight is boxing somebody out and, you know, and Kuz comes flying in to, to gobble it up. Uh, but we need a little bit more out of Kuz. He's at 5.6 rebounds per 36 minutes. His rookie year, he was 7.2. Um, KCP was a guy, his first, I don't know if you remember his first year here, he averaged like five boards a game. Yeah. And that was part of why we were good is like Brooke Lopez is boxing out and then Lonzo Ball and KCP are coming in to swoop up these rebounds. And now all of a sudden we're in transition because you've got KCP is not a ball handler, but you got guards, guys who are fast, able to get the ball up court via pass. Yeah, Josh or, Hart was like that too, right? Like mm-hmm, he right. he had a really good feel for being a rebounder as a guard. I just feel like this year's group is sort of the antithesis of what the guards have been like the mm-hmm. last couple of years for this team. Yeah, and, and that's something that I, I think Alex Caruso has got the instincts and athleticism to be able to help clean these up too. So the two guys, the three guys really I look to on this are KCP, Caruso, and mostly Kuzma in terms of being able to pick it up. But then like 
are they going to be willing, especially Kuz and KCP, is the sacrifice on those leak out threes worth giving some of that up in exchange for some of those long rebounds? I would argue that it is, but I there's an argument to be made both ways. Well, I also think too, it's how much freedom do they have to actually be grab and go guys, right? Mm. And so I think under Luke Walton, especially after that first year where he was very weird about no Lonzo should get the outlet pass like every, every single time. Once he started to allow more guys to be grab and go players, I felt like the rebounding hunt was on for everyone, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Now, this year, I feel like the the trend is really get the ball to LeBron or Rondo and let them bring it up. And maybe if they had more grab and go opportunities, they might say, oh, yeah, like this is like this is my chance to sort of initiate something, but but that's not really it. I I do actually think that they should be though intent on getting the ball and then turning up court and then going and filling your lane. And if you're playing with the proper pace with the ball and you have to trust the guy who's in the middle of the floor to do that, if they're playing with the right tempo, they're still going to get those shots, man. Like the Lakers are still going to have a big man who's going to rim run, who's who's going to threaten the like that middle lane that's going to draw in defenders. And LeBron and Rondo are adept still at hitting that corner spot up, man. So I just think they need to be a little bit better there. It's not costing them a bunch so far. Obviously, their defense is still performing at a really high level. They're making up for that possession game in other ways by blocking shots and generating steals. Um, I just think that they could probably be closer to the Bucks level defensively if they were cleaning up their defensive glass a little bit more. And I think the fact that this is like uh, at the forefront of like, hey, where they've underperformed a little bit is their ability to snag long rebounds and just defensive rebounding in general. It's not unimportant, but have a new group together like this, being able to do that at the halfway point of the season. And that's like one of their biggest concerns is really a testament to how much progress they've made from the moment that they were put together until now. And that's one of the things I love about this team is that they are getting better. They're getting better at specific basketball stuff, those closeouts, those rotations, that aggression on the perimeter that's leading to forcing more more turnovers. All of this, they are better at it now than they were in October. And that's the sign of a team that's playing for each other, not wanting to let their brothers down, and has really outperformed expectations that were already pretty high. They're on pace to win 68 games, man. Now, I don't think they're going to win 68 because I'm hoping the last week of the season, AD and LeBron are in a suit and everybody who's important is getting some rest before, you know, because we've got a six-game lead or an eight-game lead in the Western Conference. Mm -hmm. That'd be wonderful. Uh, So the 68 wins or something like that is not important to me. This team is really, really good in large part due to that ability to play together. The pieces fitting, the preparation could not be happier with where they are at the halfway mark. Still need a guard. Uh, hoping Darren Collison wants to join this brotherhood, but um, really a lot of things to be excited about. So here's to another uh, a second half of the season that's as good as the first. You've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We will catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Campbell in and out. The ball is tipped and it's saved. Three seconds left. Here's Van Exel. This is for the win. He got it. Kobe Bryant, 48 points.
points, 16 rebounds, an amazing performance by Kobe. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking you, around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I know Red Arbach is uh, rolling over. Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you That's kidding it. me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? How strong was that? A triple on a fall away in the corner with a shot clock down. Lakers by three. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. And the critical part was Pietz was jogging back. Didn't bounce the floor. It's a two-for-one situation. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. One. Miss it. Brian, yes, and that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot! I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com